All right. So last week, um, you may say I focused on the men folk. All things being equal, go to Proverbs 31. <laughs> say, whoa, preacher. Um, we're going to approach this a little bit differently than maybe you've heard it discussed before. Maybe just my ignorance, but I felt like I had a little bit different uh, understanding than I, than I had in the past. Um, and so, we'll see. I'll go to Proverbs chapter 31. First verse says, who's pinning this? This is the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now we know that the book of Proverbs starts off with the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And I believe the whole book of Proverbs is written by Solomon. So we've got to figure out why is he being addressed here as Lemuel. If you look up the Hebrew of that, in Strong's it would say, uh, in italics, it would say belonging, and then the literal translation is to God. Okay? So a king that belongs to God, the prophecy that his mother taught him. All right, well, who was Solomon's mother? That would be Bathsheba. Solomon's father, King David. Most of you know are familiar with what happened. At a time when kings were supposed to go away to war, he stayed home. And he couldn't sleep one night. And he was up on the rooftop and he saw Bathsheba bathing. He saw her and he desired her and he sent for her. Now there's nothing recorded that their relationship was forced. And other times when that did occur, it is recorded. Um, I'm sure she felt a great deal of pressure with it being the king requesting you. Um, but that being said, this was not an account of rape. Um, and so, there was an adulterous relationship, and you know that it was not going to remain secret. She was became pregnant, and David tried to cover it up multiple ways. He called for her husband, Uriah, to come home from the front, where he had been faithfully serving his king, fighting, brought him home, asked him some puff questions. Oh, how are things going? What's going on? Tell me about the war. Okay, you can go home to your wife now. Um, but Uriah wouldn't go home. He was an honorable man, and he saw that his, his men um, were in the field, away from the comforts of their homes and their wives, and so he just slept at the king's gate. So David tried again the next day when he heard he didn't go home. So if he goes home, then there's a question about, well, whose daddy is it? You know, who's the baby's daddy? Um, and uh, he tried to get him drunk. And still, even, even drunk, Uriah wouldn't go home. And so David had to come up with another plan, and so he calls his general to him and says, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the troops, and I want you to put Uriah. And Uriah was one of his best men. He had rankings of, of the best of the best, and he was in the top 30. He says, I want you to put him in the hottest spot of the battle, and then I want you to withdraw so that he dies. This is called murder. He was intending for one of his own men to die to cover up his sin. And so that's what the general did. He put his troops too close to the wall, 
And he goes and tells the messenger, here's what happened. You tell David um, that the troops are cl- too close to the wall, or they were really close and they were being shot at by arrows. And he says, if the king gives you a hard time about it, say, why did you go so close? He says, and, oh yeah, Uriah died too. To convey the message, the reason I made this poor tactical decision of getting so close to a wall that we're trying to besiege was to execute the king's plan to have Uriah murdered. And so Nathan the prophet would come and visit David and he would give him the parable about the poor man who had one little lamb and the rich man who when a visitor came to the rich man he took that one poor man's little lamb and slaughtered it and gave it to the visitor because the man was so uh, stingy with all the riches that he had. And David gets very upset and says the man who did that should die. It was very unrighteous. And Nathan informs him, you're the man. Uriah had his wife, and you had all these riches in abundance. David, at this point, had multiple wives. Um, and says, you're the man. And so because of that, there was going to be warfare in David's uh, household, and we'd see that fulfilled in his son Absalom and another son, and just all sorts of trouble that would come from it. But the other consequence was that the child was going to die. And David pleaded and beseeched and begged and fasted, hoping and praying that the Lord would change his mind, that he would show mercy. But that child did ultimately die. And David went and comforted Bathsheba because after a period of mourning, he married her. Um, And so she, looking at this from her perspective, as of part of her actions, she's lost her husband. She's remarried to the guy who led her into all this and that she yielded to. And now her baby is dead too. And then she becomes pregnant again. Solomon. And it says, this is the prophecy that she taught Solomon. And so verse 2 starts with really the mother speaking. What, my son, and what, the son of my womb, And what? The son of my vows. Now remember a woman who made a vow to give her son to God? It's Hannah and Samuel, right? So after these grave mistakes and these terrible consequences, she's now pregnant again. And here she's identifying Solomon as one who belongs to God, Lemuel. One that she had made a vow. I don't know exactly what it was. But something to the effect of, Lord, if you let me have this child, to you he'll belong. And so she has these three uh, wonderful titles that she addresses him. My son, my heir, the son of my womb. This is not an adopted son. This is her natural son, the son of my vows. Whether she made that vow before or after she conceived, I don't know. But you can see why... This is the words of King Lemuel, not just Solomon, but the one who belongs to God. And so this is a message given by a very loving mother who's pouring a great deal into this that she has left, which is her son, her son Solomon. And so this is the advice, for form of a, you know, structured as a prophecy. These are the words that she wants, this child that she loves so much to know and understand. And so, boys, this is a mother 
speaking to her son. Okay, this son is going to grow up to be a king. Okay, when he was older, there were still questions of whether or not that was actually going to come to pass. David had said, "Yes, yeah, Solomon will be my heir," and yet other brothers continued to try and interject themselves. To one point, where Bathsheba says, "If you don't deal with this publicly, David, we're going to die. I and my son Solomon will our lives will be forfeit." So. Here is the advice, and this is inspired word. This is spoken by God, but I want you to have that understanding of what where this is coming from. Because tend to we, we tend to go to Proverbs thirty one and say, "All right, women folk, do that." Right? The audience of this is a son. Okay, my son, son of my womb, the son of my vows. Give not thy strength unto women. How often do you just read this thing and pass right over that one? That's the couplet that the rest of the psalm is going to be relating to. Okay, two ideas. You can give your strength unto women, or you can give your strength unto a virtuous woman. Now here's the sad thing, is did Solomon listen to this sound counsel? He didn't. He had, I think it was 700 wives and 300 concubines. And they led him. And he voluntarily allowed himself to be led. They weren't forcing him. But they were of all manner of different nationalities and different religions. And he followed them to their own sacrifices for their own idols. To where he was building these temples or high places or altars or whatever it is that they required that his wives were asking. He was going along with it. But the words from that his mother gave him, probably something that she taught him from a very young age. Things that you need to know, my son, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. That word destroy means to, to rub out, to erase to end. Solomon did not finish his race well. Right? He started off on a good foot. He started off righteous and he had wisdom. He asked for wisdom when the Lord said, what would you have? And the Lord gave him riches and honor in addition to that because he didn't ask for it. He had peace and he had a lot of stuff. But he didn't use that wisdom wisely, appropriately. Right? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Right? So there's two different ways you can read that second clause there. The ways to which destroyeth kings is relating to giving yourself unto women. Or, the way I'm looking at it right now, is the second concept about giving yourself unto drink and intoxicants. It is not for kings... O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. As a king, he had a job to do. It was to judge. It was to rule. And if you are clouding your mind and your judgments with these intoxicants, you will forget the law. You'll forget what's right, and you won't faithfully execute justice. 
give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine to those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink, and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. This puts that form of indulgence and um, the use of those intoxicants into its proper perspective. It's someone who has nothing nothing left. You don't have a higher purpose. You're miserable and in your poverty. You're ready to drink yourself into a stupor. She says that's the proper low esteem you should have for that. As opposed to thinking this is part of the trappings that come with being king. And we're going to just have you know, champagne fountains, you know, with all that pomp and circumstance. She says, no, that's, that's not for you. That's not for someone who has a higher purpose, who has a job to do. Okay? It's for one who's given up, who's just full of misery and has nothing left, just hanging out in the gutter. Is that where you and I need to be? So she's got two things to avoid. Right? Two things, two things to cost it against. Giving your strength unto women and indulging in wine and strong drink. Right? Because if you can't do those, one will it'll erase your kingship. And the other is that it will um, lead you to forget the law and pervert judgment. So those are two negatives. Well, what's the positive? Verse 8. Open thy mouth for the dumb, and the cause of all as such as are appointed to destruction. All right, here dumb is not referring to intelligence. It's talking to those who aren't speaking up for themselves. I mean, let's take in the most literal form. If there is a man who cannot speak, he's mute, and they've pinned the murder on him, what's he going to say? <laughs> I didn't do it. No, he can't talk at all. all right. She's saying you need to be aware, alert, sober, so you can see one who's being unjustly appointed to destruction, and you need to open your mouth, pleading for the weak, whether they speak up or not. Right? Sometimes we'll plead ignorance. Well, I didn't know such and such needed something or whatever. Are our eyes open? Are we looking soberly? Or are we got our heads in the sands that are full of distraction? Open your mouth for the dumb in such cause of all who are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously. That word judge means to pronounce the verdict or the sentence. That's part of his role. Do that which is upright. Plead the cause of the poor and the needy. A king, he's got power, he's got rights. What does he care about the poor and needy? Well, most human kings don't. But who does this king belong to? Belongs to God. He's a representative of God. He is one who is enacting and putting into place the law that God has set down. God's the, God's the legislator. He said, here is what's right. You, king, have got to enforce that in the day-to-day lives of your people. That's something, I mean, mama training your little boy, she's trying to train him to be ready to be a king. And not a self-indulgent, vain king, 
but one who belongs to God and is living a life in His service and doing the things that please the Lord, right? Judging rightly, speaking up for the poor and the needy and the weak, actively pleading their causes to make sure that they are not abused and harmed. Which brings you down to verse 10, which is generally where preachers will jump into this thing. Who can find a virtuous woman? Connect that with verse 3. Give not thy strength unto women. Who can find a virtuous woman? Okay? This is about picking a bride, guys. And the key attribute that you're looking for is virtuous. One who is displaying virtue. That moral character that love of the Lord and fear of the Lord. The things that she's going to do that are described here are because she is virtuous. Right? It's the character that's showing up. Okay? When you're choosing a bride, it matters. And she is going to, the mother here, Bathsheba, is going to lay out to Solomon all the value that comes from choosing a virtuous woman as your bride rather than indulging yourself in the pleasures of the flesh. Okay? You can think of your, your virtuous bride on this hand and you can think of the, the ladies you might meet in Vegas. Right? Whether they work there or whether they're mooching off somebody, there are things that they want and expect and enjoy that are radically different than a virtuous wife, right? And so, it's going to give all the positives here in the form of the virtuous wife, but I want you to also think about what's the negative correlation that shows up on the other side. Because you need to be aware of those too. Those are the dangers when choosing that. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? What makes rubies and diamonds and gold valuable? They're rare, right? It's not just the first stone you go look out of there. Oh, look, I found a ruby. Oh, look, I found a you know, gold nugget. Right? They're rare. It takes discernment. It takes patience. The first woman that you set your eyes on, odds are not in your favor that it's going to be the virtuous woman. Okay? Look closer. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Now there's a rarity aspect, but there's also a value aspect. People put a lot of value on how much money they make. Right? How much is in your, your retirement account, how much your car is worth, how much your watch is worth, whatever. It says whatever you're putting value in, whatever you think is a great investment, whatever you think is of highest return, the truth is a virtuous woman is exceptionally higher. Okay? If you have a virtuous wife, then there is... You can't really put a price on it. Right? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. Alright. 
every time I've read that before, I've jumped to that word spoil and think of, okay, well, he's not going to have uh, you know, danger of things being wasted. Well, that's what spoil can mean, right? Things are spoiled and things are wasted. We use that word spoil a lot of different ways, right? If you overindulge a child, you go, well, he's spoiled. When the Egyptians were spoiled by the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, what happened? They got a bunch of stuff, right? Booty, right? That's what the pirates use, right? They collected the gold and the, all the, the stuff, right? the treasure. It's not that he has a fear of spoil. He shall have no need of spoil. So thinking that in terms of booty or treasure. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. There's a clever country song from a while back. We learned so many things from those. The senorita's no caro when there's no dinero. <laughs> I got no money to stay. If you have chosen to give your strength to women who care about the flash and the pomp and the gold and the stuff, right? You're, you're, the friends you pick up at the Vegas bar, right? If you don't have spoil, if you don't have booty, if you've run out of gold, where's she going to be? Out the door! On to the next schmo. What do kings have in abundance? That, right? And so who's going to be attracted to that? A lot of the wrong kind. Right? He needs to be discerning. Whereas the virtuous woman, that husband can safely trust that in good times and bad times, she's still there. You've got a faithful friend because she's not there as a gold digger. She's not there seeking what you have and what you can provide for her. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Okay? If you've got one over here who you've got to have the latest shoes and toys and cars or whatever, he's got to keep making what? Money. Keep making bank. You know, if you're a king, we've got to keep going to war because we need more spoils to come in to finance this lifestyle, right? That's the number one conflict in most marriages. Money, right? Well, if you choose a spouse whose motivation centered around money, guess what, sons? You're going to have trouble because you're going to have to constantly be supplying more and more and more in order to keep her. And you won't trust that she's going to stay as opposed to the confidence and security of having a virtuous woman in whom your heart can safely trust. There's a lot of value in that. And so the price is far above rubies. What Bathsheba here, the mother of Lemuel, is going to be laying out is these are the values. You, these are the attributes that you can't quantify. You can't put a price tag on it, but it's so worthwhile. Right? Those intangibles, the things you can't touch, but heart of a husband safely trusting in her. So they have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. How's the Vegas gal going to treat you? You got the money. She might stick around. Somebody comes along with more money. She might. Yeah, she might go on. 
She might take your money and go. Right? You don't know. Right? Whereas a virtuous woman, all the days of her life, she'll do you good. She's in your corner. This is what a help meet looks like, is you are now a team. All the days of her life. Verse 13. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Now, we're at a time... How many of y'all gone to the market to get your wool and flax lately? All right, this, is, this is a word picture that doesn't resonate easily to us. Wool and flax are raw materials. Okay? You've heard of cottage, cottage industries. That's where you make things at home and then sell them outside. All right? This is an example of that. As she goes out and she buys the raw materials, wool and flax, and then she works them with her hands. Wool, you can spend that. And then you um, turn it into yarn and knit it, make it into different products. Flax, through a pretty intense process, a lot of labor, you make linen. I watched a Discovery Channel show on how that in England they still take flax. It was kind of the precursor to cotton, that it was the best linen that you could make. And they're using these massive machines to do it in bulk um, and get these you know, fibers out of this plant. But I would imagine it's really hard work to do that by hand. And yet she's seeking wool and flax, acquiring those raw materials, and worketh willingly with her hands. Does the Vegas gal do that? Oh no, I might chip a nail. Oh no, I can't do that. Oh no, I don't work. You need to take care of me. Right? There's a very different mindset in that, right? One who's willing to work and labor and contribute. Okay, and so here she's working willingly with her hands, not begrudgingly. You ever had somebody do something? Yeah, I'll help. And they really do not want to help. Is that really helpful? Now, generally the job's twice as hard, right? She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She's like a merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar. Okay. Is the Vegas friend going to cook for you? Well, if I have to, I'll go to that first convenience store and I'll get you some Hot Pockets. I'll heat it in the burritos and you know, come back, right? No. The virtuous woman, she's like a merchant ship. To have a merchant ship, that involves some planning, some effort, some research, of finding what is the, the best and the use of resources, right, to be able to provide for the family, for the household, with the food that they require. Bringing her food from afar. Not just looking for the easiest way out, or the most convenient. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her households, and a portion to her maidens. Okay? So... Here you've got the virtuous woman who's willing to work and to serve. You know what maidens' roles are? Servants. And yet here, the dame of the house, or the, the lady of the house, is rising, and she's making sure that even those that are in her charge and work for her are being taken care of. Right? What is a king supposed to do? Take care of those that are even under his, his rule and realm, right? He has servants, right? said so that you want to find a virtuous woman who will do that with you. Rising early when it's yet night, giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maiden. She's caring about others. What does your friend from Vegas care about? Herself, right? 
What do you mean you want me to work? What do you mean you want me to get, get up early? No, we had a late night last night. We can't, right? It's a very different attitude. And we're using these as, as, as extremes, but you know, we need to be discerning of what is truly valuable versus what is just that flash in the pan. So she feeds her household, gives a portion to her maidens, those that work for her that she's taken care of. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. Okay. So we've got that cottage industry. She's taken wool and flax and made garments and linen. Apparently she makes girdles a little bit later, right? And she's taken those proceeds and she's looking and discerning, researching, says, oh, Here's a field. I'm going to consider it. I'm going to think about it. And then she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. Take that, and she translates into whether she's doing the work directly, maybe, or with the proceeds that she's earned from the other stuff, she's hiring people to plant a vineyard. But she's looking to improve the situation for her whole family, but it's using intelligence and research, and planning. And who's the chief um, motivator of this scenario? It's her. I don't think she's doing this against her husband's will. Um, But she is not barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen with no drive, no thought, adding nothing to um, the family as a whole. Rather, she's helping and encouraging and being a self-starter in many ways. Right? She considereth the field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. Vineyard is a more uh, probably profitable venture than just spinning wool and linen. But she girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. Okay? They used to have something called a fainting couch, right? Because the women were so delicate that, you know, mild... Two o'clock sun comes. Well, we just got to, oh, I'm going to swoon, right? Women are not men. We agree in that. But they're not also lilting, weak little flowers who cannot labor in their own way. Okay? A lot of this has to do with your mindset. of What are you willing to do and accomplish? All right? Are you going to sit in the shade and have someone come peel you grapes? That's what the Vegas gal would do. Versus, are you going to strengthen yourself, gird yourself with strength and strengthen your arms so that your body is physically getting stronger as you're laboring and serving? Because guess what, guys? This whole life is serving. Okay. She perceiveth her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth out, not out by night. So not only is she making stuff, she's making high-quality stuff. There's some skill involved in this. And she's got the discernment to recognize it. If you know that your merchandise is good, guess what? You can charge a high price for it. Right? This is a virtuous woman who is not ignorant by any respect. Her candle goeth not out by Night, she's not lazy, right? Think about your Vegas friend who only wants to serve herself. 
You want me to stay up and do what? You want me to, to help? You want me to do things that, right? That type of person as just a friend or as a spouse is not going to serve that king well. Right? It's not the helpmate that he needs. It's not the helpmate that any young man needs. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. Right? Your spindle, that's your tools for turning your wool into yarn. Your distaff, that's another tool. I don't know exactly what it is. Y'all can look that up. Let me know. I've been on a ship all week, and so I've had limited <laughs> connectivity for research. Um, but the point is that she's, she's putting her hand to the grindstone, right? She's having to, to work and to labor um, and bring forth uh, effort, right? And it's adding to her family, taking care of others. And yet in all that, she's not greedy and hard-hearted, right? If your Vegas friend has someone come up to her and asking for help, what do you think that person will react, Right? You draw back, it's gross, you're yuck, you smell, get away from me, right? As opposed to the virtuous woman who rather than recoiling from someone else in need, stretches out her hand to the poor. Yet she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. So she's not become miserly by the effort where everything, well, I can't do anything, this is all, all mine, rather... The virtuous woman and men are giving of that which they've earned. Because who's really giving in the increase? God. So who's it really belong to? God. Right? She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. Scarlet is an expensive garment. Okay? To have her whole household clothed in such a fashion so they don't have to worry about the snow, what has she been having to do in advance? Preparing, planning ahead, right? That's a little bit different than the Vegas gal who can't plan past tonight's party. Right? Giving your strength unto women. This is one who's looking ahead, planning for the difficult times that are come, and working towards it so that when they do come, and they will come, you've done what you can do to prepare. And so you don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. Okay? She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. Not just the top, but everybody. And this is a household that will include servants. Taking care of all those. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Silk and purple are, again, very expensive articles. But she makes herself coverings of tapestry. Tapestries are really time-consuming, difficult things. There's a lot of interweaving, different color strands in order to make a picture. Right? That's, that takes skill. That takes planning. That takes patience. That takes effort. Right? Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Now, to sit in the gates, that's where judgment would occur. 
That's where, you know, transactions that needed witnesses, you would gather there at the gates. It says he's not just one of the guys who, you know, occasionally shows up, but he's when somebody comes in, they know him. She's going to help make that possible, right? That help meet. That if you find a virtuous woman like that, folks are going to know who she is, and they're going to know who her husband is. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land, whether he's an elder yet or not. She maketh fine linen and selleth it. That product from the flax produced into fine linen after much labor and toil and sells it. And delivereth girdles unto the merchandise. So linen, you think of like the, the sheets or something? Girdles, that's a, that's a finished product. Sell it unto the merchandise. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in a time to come. Strength and honor are her clothing. What do you think your friend from Vegas wants for her clothing? Whatever you can buy me. Right? Dress, maybe? Her virtue, her strength, her honor, her, her valor. You know, that, that's what virtue refers to is valor. Yeah. That's how she is clothed, right? That's what she's known for. And she shall rejoice in time to come. You think there's a lot of hard work that goes into all this? Absolutely. There's a rejoicing. In a time to come. It's a time in the future. Right? Is there a lot of hard work, sister, and serving your families now? Absolutely. Is there a rejoicing in a time to come? Sometimes we want that rejoicing to be right now. <laughs> All right, I'm tired of this. <laughs> One more load of laundry and I'm ready to <laughs> chunk it out in the yard. She openeth her mouth with wisdom. This ain't the 1950s gender roles where mom has nothing of value to say and she just has to walk around in her heels and pearls and provide drinks to the husband. She opened her mouth with wisdom. Who's this prophecy being told to him by? His mama! She is trying to impart this wisdom unto Solomon. Solomon, wise as he is, was too foolish to accept it and use it. How much better of a king would Solomon have been if he had chosen one virtuous woman rather than wasting so many years in pursuits of drink and food and building? And you know, that whole book of Ecclesiastes is, I've tried it all and it's all just vanity. And there's nothing left, nothing, nothing left for man but to fear the Lord. Right? That was what, that was, he came down to that conclusion eventually, but he had to go the long way around to find it. But this virtuous woman down in verse 30, it says that her definition, she fears the Lord. When you're looking for a bride, boys, look for one that fears the Lord. Okay? There's plenty of flashy women in the world that are vain. They may look Purdy by the world's standards. But the substance isn't there. The virtue isn't there. It says, Favor is deceitful and beauty 
is vain. All right? You can hear all manner of flattering things, particularly when you got the money in your pocket and somebody's seeking it. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Not that she may be praised. She shall be praised. She opened up her mouth with wisdom, verse 26, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Law of kindness. Sometimes husbands need to be balanced out because we can get too harsh. Get too firm. Now, I think it's best for dads to be the disciplinarian in the family and to be the heavy, if you will. But there is a definite need for that nurture and the reminding of, of the need for, for kindness. Right? When God has described His loving kindness. Right? Sometimes we can be so concerned about being right that we forget about being kind. Right? So not only is she wise when she opens her mouth, but her, in her tongue is the law of kindness. What do you think's in the mouth of the Vegas gal? Foolishness? Bitterness? Well, you just don't do anything for me. You don't take care of my seeds of aggression and anger. Like, you can read Proverbs about a contentious woman. Right? But the virtuous woman opens her mouth with wisdom and her tongue. In her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household. That looketh well means to lean in. And to the ways of her household has the idea of a, a marching caravan. This family's moving. They're on the road. And I'm looking at each one to make sure that it's doing well. That it has what it needs. They're carrying, right? This is some diligent inspection and oversight and carrying. This is not one whose hands off of, well, it'll be all right. Just... Get out of my hair. I don't have time for you. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. That's not a characteristic of one who fears the Lord of seeking idleness. There was, there was a lot of idleness that we saw on that ship over this week. Um, and there was a lot of overindulgence in a lot of things. Um, and there were a lot of at least from the way they were dressed, women I would not describe as being virtuous women. And so there's a lot of opportunities, men, young men, to go wrong. So you need to know what a virtuous woman looks like, what attributes does it have, so you can recognize it and seek for that. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness, why does she do that? Because she is a virtuous woman. It's a characteristic of her. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praiseth her. You think that Vegas gal, she has kids, that's what her kids are going to say? No, they'll probably be disrespectful little terrors. Right? Because they haven't had the Wisdom poured into them and the love and the training and the instruction. And one that, you know, the husband can't trust her. 
and she opens her mouth, it's just foolish, vain talk anyway. Do you think he's going to be praising her? No. Her husband also, he praises her, praises that virtuous one. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. So, this mother's advice to the son, seek and find that virtuous woman. Look for her. Don't be led astray by favor. People saying what you want to hear. Flattery. Don't be led astray by how someone looks. The skin deep beauty only goes skin deep. And guess what? After a few years, it starts to fade. It's a little wrinkly. You get some, some spots on it. It's vanity. like that soap bubble. Eventually it pops. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That is something that goes on and on. And eventually she'll have something to rejoice eternally about. Give her of the fruit of, of her hands and let her own works Praise her in the gates. This is advice to the husband. If you've got a woman who is working in this way and diligent and serving, don't necessarily take the proceeds that she's earning. Let her keep working with it. See what she can continue to produce. Let her own works praise her in the gates. And so you can see that the accomplishments that she has will continue to carry forward. But all this is possible because of who she is as a virtuous woman. The only way you will find a virtuous woman is if you have found a woman who has been born again by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Our default is to look and act just like children of wrath, children of disobedience, pursuing the lusts of the flesh, the pleasures of the mind, seeking to serve ourselves. And it's only by a miracle of grace that we are born again and are able to fear the Lord and have a desire to serve Him. And so the most important attribute, young boys, that you can have is when you are looking for a godly spouse is does she fear the Lord? Does she love the Lord? Because if you don't have that, stop. Okay? Doesn't matter how pretty she is, how she makes you feel, how she talks about how good looking you are. My dad told me once that love is deaf, dumb, blind, and stupid. <laughs> don't put yourself in a situation where you're that deep if you don't have... It wasn't kind, but it's true. And that's what makes it rough, is that you can be deceived and you stop thinking critically of, is this a helpmeet that's right for me? Okay. Now, given that most of our boys here this morning are not quite of married in age, how does this apply to the rest of us? Man, if you have a virtuous wife, count the value of that. Recognize that. Encourage her. See what she's capable of and encourage those strengths to allow her to add value to your family. Um, 
and don't belittle her attempts if they don't go as well as you think they ought to. Sisters? Y'all heard this thing a bunch. This is a good reminder of what the Lord's standard is. Not mine, not even your husband's or your own, or the 1950s Leave It to Be reversion. Right? We can get wrapped up in caricatures of our role. But going back to the Lord's Word and seeking, how do I serve? What does that look like? They are useful reminders because we got to recalibrate. Right? You know how, how often they recalibrate the radar guns for the police officers? Every shift, right? There's not going to be someone arguing with it. Well, you didn't calibrate it, right? So we need to recalibrate every shift. What am I doing? What am I seeking? I'm a daughter of the king, and I'm married to a prince. Because guess what, y'all? We've been made kings and priests, right, of the Lord. Do we all have jobs to do? Things that are of great value in the Lord's kingdom? Are there roles where we need to be pleading for the weak? Stepping in? Reaching out our hands to the poor and the needy? Where we need to have clear, sober minds ready to do that job and not distracted by whether it's intoxicants or whether it's TV or the phones or whatever that allow us to forget what's right. To be distracted to where we don't see the needs, see those that are under our charge or just in our paths or circles. We have work to do. That's what this world, this life is about. Work, labor, effort. You're not working your way to heaven. Jesus took care of that. But you've been born again and created unto good works. Hello? Do them. Seek them with open eyes and diligence and clear hearts, clear eyes. And from the heart, doing it willingly. Because it's easy to get distracted, self-involved, seeking idleness. Like that's the goal somehow. It's not. There's a time to come when we will rejoice and the labor will be put away. It'll be just a memory. Along with all the sorrow and the pain and the hurt. All that's going to be the past. That's the beauty of heaven. That's the time where there'll be unmitigated, unending rejoicing. But y'all, we've got labor to do now. And so, sisters, this is a good reminder for us of how you can labor in the role that you're in right now. In a way that gives glory to God and is in recognition of your fear of Him. That moral reverence. Not even because my husband told me to do it. But if he's telling you because the Word says so, he's got it on good authority. But because of your own love for the Lord. High bar? Very much. I mean, we don't try. Every day. Continue every day. 
Find the areas that are tripping us up. Work on those. Find the areas in our spouse where they're doing better. Encourage them. Right? You know, ever heard the catch more flies with honey than vinegar line? Right? We know that. And yet so often we tend to pour vinegar on our spouses. We forget to say the things that we need to to encourage them. This is hard. Our carnal nature, our carnal nature rebels against this. Right? Putting other people before ourselves, that's not natural. Right? So let us live and serve and labor among one another with this being our standard, the Word. Constantly going back to it. Who's giving this advice? A mother for a son. Right? Some precious advice. We should want what we tell our children to be grounded in the Word of God so that our advice has roots. Right? Something that sticks and lasts. We can't do that very well if we're not soaking ourselves in the Word every day. Mm-hmm. No. To deepen our reservoirs of the Word, both up here and in here, and in how we live it out, so that we can continue to pour and give good advice, so that our mouths can open up wisdom to others. But while at the same time our tongues are doing it with the law of kindness. Hopefully this was encouragement to you and we'll go forth and try.